Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We have already talked a good bit about quarterbacks here this week, and before the show is done today, we're going to talk a lot more. In fact, we're going to get a chance to hear from these quarterbacks here today. Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff, both meeting with the media on Tuesday night. You can see the full interview on the Dog Nation YouTube page, but I'm going to play you some of the clips uh, here today. It's kind of an introduction on that of mindset of both these guys as they get ready to vie to be the Georgia starting quarterback. Some of that we'll see on G-Day coming up on April 15th. By the way, on sale now are G-Day tickets. I already heard from some dog fans today that have gotten there, so if you want yours, head on over to the official site and you can get that done. Those tickets now on sale to the uh, general public. However, before we get to anything involving quarterbacks today, I want to do something different here for a moment. I think one of the funny things that kind of came out of the national championship for Georgia this past season was how much Georgia seemed to have a chip on its shoulder about what it perceived to be doubters of the team, doubters of the program, haters, if you will, who sort of thought that Georgia was unworthy of winning a second straight national championship. And this kind of created a little bit of debate among some fans and plenty of media about how true any of this was. Did Georgia really have doubters this past season? Were there really naysayers around this program saying that Georgia couldn't do what it did, which is go 15-0 and and win the national championship in emphatic fashion, 65 to seven against TCU. Well, certainly plenty of the Georgia players believed this to be true. I'll give you an example. You've heard this before. Stetson Bennett calling out those doubters, even though in his mind, some of them were trying to hide under rocks and pretend they didn't exist. Stetson says, I know you're out there. And he said that pretty clearly uh, after the national championship game. Here is Stetson Bennett from going back to January. This is what we set out to do this year. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of people who doubted us, a lot of people who, um, you know, and I know people are going to be like, well, no, we didn't. Well, yeah, you did. Um, you know, maybe not doubted us as, as far as, you know, unranked doubted us, but it wasn't, there wasn't a consensus. Um, and it seems as if people have forgotten that storyline um, and forgotten what, what, what this team has done as a collective, you know, fought through that and heard all the doubters whenever, you know, we're talking about 15 – uh, draft picks lost to the draft and uh, you know a lot, a lot of those guys over there on defense and even on offense heard that um, you know and so we, we went to work and we took it week by week and now we're here so um, I think I think that's really special so that's a pretty matter-of-fact statement from Stetson Bennett Bennett I think clearly believed there were people who didn't think that George was going to be able to get it done this past season and maybe that you know, impacted a guy like Stetson more because he had been hearing doubters his entire football life, including even after he led Georgia to a national championship in 2021, that somehow he wasn't going to be good enough to do it again. So maybe Stetson's a little bit more sensitive to stuff like that because of the level of doubt that he's always dealt with. But it's pretty obvious that Stetson, as a representative for Georgia's 2022 team, pretty obvious that team was motivated by what they perceived to be doubters, people who believed they weren't going to be able to get it done. However, <laughs> In the immediate aftermath of the national championship, some folks were sort of thinking that maybe some of Georgia's perceived doubters were exaggerated a little bit. Their existence was kind of conjured up out of the imagination of some Georgia players because on the field there in L.A., there had been all kinds of talk about, hey, y'all were saying we we're going to go six and six and y'all were saying we we're going to go seven and five. And one of the guys that was saying that the most was Nolan Smith, who obviously was injured, not able to finish his senior season there at Georgia but still 
you know, continue to be one of Georgia's most important vocal leaders and probably no better articulate spokesman for the program. And on that national championship field there in L.A., you know, he was the one that was going around saying the most about, oh, y'all said we're going to be seven and five. Well, we proved you wrong and we won the national championship. And there were some media types who were like, now, hold on. C- come on. Come on. You, you know, maybe there were some people that didn't pick Georgia win the national championship, but nobody really picked y'all to go seven and five, did they? Nobody really said you're going to be six and six, did they? There was a little bit of a kind of a push and pull on that in the immediate aftermath of the national championship game. The idea that somehow inside the program, whether it be Nolan doing this or Kirby Smart doing this or somebody doing this, that somehow the, the notion of Georgia being doubted or the degree to which that Georgia was being doubted, that some of that might have been exaggerated. Well, guess what? Now that we're several, you know, I guess, you know, months away from the national championship, the season's been over now for quite some time. I guess now the truth can come out. Now it can be told. And I guess Nolan Smith is now admitting uh, what a lot of folks thought they knew at the time, which that Nolan Smith was exaggerating the degree to which uh, he was saying that Georgia had been doubted and maybe kind of using that to push on his teammates who may not quite be as media savvy as Nolan is. They may not quite be watching as many you know online videos or reading stuff online, things like that. And when Nolan was saying this, they just happen to believe it's probably true because Nolan was telling them. But Nolan made it a recent appearance on the podcast it's saturday down south you may be familiar with that i'll put a link to the full interview when i post the show here at a dognation.com but nolan in this recent interview with saturday down south admitted yeah a lot of that stuff i was saying and a lot of that stuff i was using to get my team motivated yeah i guess i was just sort of making it all up this is nolan smith admitting that the source of some of george's motivation this past year may have been a little bit manufactured by him i think this is really funny take a listen to nolan smith <laughs> yes yeah yeah you know you got to create the own narrative man sometimes you know you got to put the chip on your own shoulder but we did have a humongous target on our back as we saw in the missouri game <laughs> yeah you know sometimes you got to juice it up for the guy especially when you're old man last year i just wanted everybody to know i said it i said it the whole summer they're gonna think we're going seven and five guys they ain't even thinking about a two p so you made that entire thing up. You just picked that out of the air. You're like, all right, I'm just going to throw seven and five. That sounds disrespectful enough. Yeah, seven and five is like disrespectful enough. And that's what like Coach Smart did. I think not to disrespect any of the other teams, but I think Coach Smart went like eight and four, like his first year. So I was like, yeah, seven and five though sounds better. And it sounds better off the tongue. Seven and five, seven and five. So there's Nolan Smith saying, yeah, I made the whole thing up. But Look, in defense of Nolan here, though, for a minute, and now he's, you know, obviously just kind of playing along with this, having fun with it, saying, yeah, I made this all up. But but in defense of him just for a minute here, if you go back and look at the last offseason, y'all, we chronicled all of this as it took place. There were people at the beginning of the season saying, are we sure that Georgia can beat Oregon? Are we sure that Georgia is going to be able to handle all this oh, first game without these 15 draft picks? If you want to go back and find examples, there were people who thought that Oregon could challenge Georgia. Now, on this show, we picked Georgia to shut the uh, Ducks out, and they almost did. But there are plenty of other people who are saying, are we sure that Georgia is ready for Oregon this soon after losing all those players and you know all the whatever else? Dan Lanning, maybe he knows what Georgia's going to be doing. He's got some tricks up his sleeve because of the time he spent there at UGA. You can find 
find people who thought that Georgia might struggle against Oregon. Uh, you had, uh, you know, Takeo Spikes, SEC Network analyst during the summer that predicted South Carolina to upset Georgia. That's the second game in which there were at least some in the media saying that Georgia could lose this past season. Now, Takeo, I think, was sort of pushed into making the hot take because it was kind of a sort of his you know first year on the job, whatever else, kind of got pushed into that hot take. And he eventually sort of recanted it, I guess, and apologized for ever having said it. But if you want to go back to SEC media days, Takeo Spikes was sitting right there on that desk on the SEC network saying, yeah, I think that Georgia's going to lose to South Carolina. You had Chris Doring, who's not a rookie analyst. He's been doing this for a long time. He had Georgia losing to Kentucky. Uh, you can go on and on and on uh, before the Tennessee game. How many people thought that Tennessee was going to beat Georgia? The entirety of the media had seemingly aligned against Georgia, picking the Vols there on that day. So, Maybe no one officially predicted Georgia go seven and five, but you don't have to find uh, you don't have to look very far to find evidence of Georgia being picked to lose this game or picked to lose that game or picked to lose whatever game that the, the honest truth is, is that Georgia probably did face more doubters this past season than a reigning national champion should have had to deal with. And I think it's important to keep in mind for this upcoming year, too, which is that media types don't like having the same opinion as everybody else it's not very interesting to say oh yeah the team that's won the last two national championships they're going to come back and make it look easy and win this one again in 2023 that may be true but the media is just going to be in search of a more interesting opinion than that so last year georgia was fueled by its doubters and it seems like all those doubters would have been squashed after georgia went out and went 15 and 0 and won the national championship again but my guess is that's not going to be true now it may not be anyone picking Georgia go seven and five, as Nolan Smith said. Nobody really picked Georgia go seven and five last year either. But will somebody somewhere try to chase some clout by picking Georgia to lose this game, or picking Georgia to lose that game, or picking Georgia not to win the SEC or not make the college football playoff? Of course, that'll be the case. Almost certainly that will be the case. And you know what? I hope that Georgia takes the mindset this year that it took a year ago. All those people who want to be, uh, I guess, reluctant to the idea that Georgia's climb to the top of the sport is inevitable, all those people who push back against that, then use those doubters uh, as fuel. What is it they, the, the, the posters say? Make your haters your motivators if that's what you need to do because it clearly worked for Georgia very well in 2022. My guess is there'll be some of that in 2023, and I hope there's someone like Nolan Smith on this year's team to help use that as motivation all over again. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Breda Pest Management. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, on the radio at noon, every single day on Athens Sports Radio 960, The Ref, and we're available as a podcast, wherever you find them, Apple, Spotify, we post the show at the worldfamousdognation.com. We try to make this show as accessible as possible for all of you, and we appreciate all of you joining us as a part of that. And of course, all the chances we have of making the show, you know, putting it out there, helping you know you access the show wherever you are, great studio, great equipment, things that I don't even know how to use. All of that made possible because of our great sponsors. Big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management who uh, bring this show to us here today. They're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. That means you can choose for your pest control, your bugs, your critters, your termites. You can choose the same company that takes care of UGA on all this kind of stuff. And the great news is when you choose a company like that, the resources, the likes of which Breda Pest Management has, they're trusted by UGA. You're also going to get a great benefit for yourself when you do that. The fact that they've been around since 1975, the fact they got 100 something different employees, the fact that they've got such a 
you know, wide range of, of resources, such a large and successful organization, they're going to allow you to leverage their strength by saving you money instantly for making that decision. When you make the choice to switch to Breda Pest Management for your termite protection, for instance, you're going to put more money in your pocket right away just for making that decision. That's what Breda Pest Management is all about. So please make sure you find them online. It's BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. And the same company that UGA trusts take care of its pest control and its bugs, its critters, its termites, and everything else, you can trust them as well. The official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. Breda Pest Management. Find them online. Breda Pest. Com. One more time, that's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. All right, busy show for us today. Uh, we're going to look forward, before we're done today, to welcome in Tony Barnhart. He's Mr. College Football, a guy that's been around the SEC long time, deep, close relationships with so many SEC coaches. We're going to talk to him about how Georgia fits into the landscape around the rest of the SEC. We are going to do that today before our show is done. I'm really looking forward to that here uh, before it's all said and done. Also, Mike Griffith back on the show on a Wednesday as per usual. A lot to discuss with Mike as it relates to Georgia spring practice. Uh, all of that coming up here in just a couple of moments. Also, maybe before we're done as well, an example. We told, so, said before that somebody somewhere is going to be doubting UJ at some point in time. Maybe we have an example of a little bit of a snub of Georgia that sets the stage for, hey, that chip that Georgia had on its shoulder last year, kind of getting that back. We'll give you an example of that maybe before we're done here coming up in a couple of minutes. Prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse here today. And yesterday was really fun, especially last night. Got a chance in Athens to hear from both of the Georgia quarterbacks currently vying to be the starter. Now, we understand that Gunnar Stockton's having a very good spring, and we believe that Gunnar Stockton has a very bright future as Georgia quarterback. For now, though, it seems like in the upcoming season, 2023, the battle to be starter is between Brock Vandegrift, Carson Bagg. Gunnar's obviously much younger than those guys are, so his time in the sun may come later on, but it's Vandegrift versus Beck for right now. And it sounds like both these quarterbacks have performed pretty well thus far this spring, which is nice to hear. But in terms of their own evaluation of how they performed, you know, on the Dog Nation YouTube page, you can see the full interview with Brock, the full interview with Carson, and get their wide-ranging thoughts. But there is some of this I want to share with you right now from both these guys, starting with Carson Beck here because he's the oldest. We'll go with him first. I guess alphabetical order-wise also works to play him first there as well. Starting with Carson Beck here on this, about just how you know his experience at Georgia has aided him and kind of how that has allowed him to kind of get comfortable as he tries to take that next step towards being starting quarterback here this spring. Here's a little bit from Carson Beck last night. Obviously, you know, a big part of that is reps and experience and getting into games and Last year was really big for me. Obviously, Stetson had a great year and went out on top, which was awesome. But, you know, he did really well in certain games. We got up big. I got to, you know, get some experience in a few of those games. So I guess the biggest thing I would say is just having the experience and continuing to grow on that with, you know, further reps and the more practices that we get. Sometimes the simplest point is the truest in this particular case. I believe that's right for Carson Beck that, and we've said this many times, that in the battle to be Georgia's next starting quarterback, the idea that Beck had some game experience a year ago is quite a weapon in this battle. Now, that alone is not enough to guarantee him to be the starting quarterback. This is not a constitutional plan of succession. You know, He doesn't just sort of step up because the starter moved away. That's not quite how it works. You still have to compete. But in that competition, the notion that 
you have experience. Big difference between zero and one. Big difference between something and nothing. And the fact that Carson Beck has some experience in this particular situation is very valuable for him and probably does give him a leg up, makes him a favorite, if you will, over Brock Vanderiff and Gunnar Stockton simply because he was in games a year ago and those immediate initial butterflies that you have when you step onto the field for the first time, maybe he got something, some of that out of his system there a year ago. That's real. And as far as the fact that Beck now going into his fourth year at Georgia, you know, being around Stetson Bennett, being around this Georgia program, what he's learned from the quarterbacks that he shared this quarterback room with in previous years and Carson Beck says yeah from Bennett and from everybody else he's actually learned a pretty good bit here's Carson Beck again yeah I think every quarterback that's ever come through this room I've been able to learn from and that goes for even the guys that are in here you know everyone is so different at the quarterback position and it's such a unique position because there's no one body frame one body type or one way that you're supposed to play quarterback there's so many different things and different aspects of being a quarterback so I'd say I've taken little bits and pieces from every quarterback that's walked through this room. And y'all don't discount this. I mean, when you look at the very best quarterbacks in college football the last couple of years, you know, a lot of those guys had to wait their turn to play. Best example of that's probably a guy like Joe Burrow, who was sort of buried on the depth chart at Ohio State, went to LSU, and gosh, he may have been the best single season quarterback in college football history. That's a guy who waited for his moment and then took full advantage of it. Even to a lesser degree, like look last year, you know, guys like CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, who may be the first two quarterbacks taken in the upcoming NFL draft. These are both guys that spent a year on campus learning, watching, waiting before they finally got their chance and then they took full advantage of it when they got their opportunity. Stetson Bennett, obviously, much the same way. Scout team quarterback in 2017. Eventually, a junior college quarterback a guy who played very very little in 2019 as George's backup but when he got the chance to show what he was all about clearly the experience he gained by watching Stetson Bennett eventually put to good use so Carson Beck's time waiting and watching that's not idle time that's valuable time if, if Carson Beck has used it to its full extent it's a time to learn. It's a time to see what worked, what didn't work. It's a time to say, oh, I'll take a piece of this quarterback. I'll take a piece of that quarterback and a piece of this quarterback. And then it'll help me kind of build up authentically who I am as a signal caller. That time in the system can be valuable for Carson Beck if he's used it wisely. Every indication we have is, is that he has. And then finally from Carson Beck, his own evaluation of how he feels his performance has gone thus far this spring. Here is Carson Beck again. I thought it's gone good. Um, I think the biggest thing is just trying to get better each and every day. Um, you know, have the right attitude coming out and focused on me and what I can do, you know, physically, mentally, um, building relationships with teammates. You know, we got a few new guys out there um, trying to get to know them better and connect with them on a deeper level. Because, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You know, we're a team, we're a family, and um, just trying to take that role and uh, keep getting better. Yeah, so the one thing, and I think I said this yesterday, and just to be completely honest, it's a little bit hard to tell what's going on here. And, you know, I try not to be too cynical, but obviously you can't help but have a little bit of skepticism sometimes creep into your thought process. In other words, is this just Carson Beck's job and all of what's going on right now is sort of an orchestrated competition to make it seem like Carson Beck just wasn't chosen by default, that he actually had to earn this, to keep Brock Vandegrift involved in the program so it doesn't transfer? Is this all just sort of a paint-by-numbers orchestration of a quarterback competition so that everything sort of sounds the way it's supposed to sound? Or is Brock Vandegrift really pushing here? Is he really challenging here? Is there a chance that there is an upset winner for the Georgia starting quarterback competition? 
you know, I would sort of hold out the belief that, yeah, maybe the latter really is true here. And maybe Vandegrift really is making a case for himself and making uh, an argument that he does have a legitimate chance of being a trusted starting quarterback for Georgia this season. Because if that is true, everything that Beck just said there is all the more important that you can't just rest on your experience and you can't just lean on your time served in the program that you're not just you know getting the job because of seniority that you've got to go out and actually improve on what you have been because you've got a guy like Brock Vandergriff who's trying to take full advantage of his opportunity there as well in other words is it a real competition I certainly hope it is is Brock Vandergriff pushing to be the starter I certainly hope he is whether that actually ends up happening or not because if that really is the case, then all that means is is that the eventual starting quarterback for Georgia is just that much better. Now, as far as the Vandergriff part of this, hearing from Brock yesterday for me was probably more interesting than hearing from Carson because Brock's one of those guys, and we said this a million times. As the number three quarterback, you know, a couple of years removed from high school, you sort of become a little bit out of sight, out of mind. You sort of become one of these guys that uh you sort of forget about a little bit. I don't know, that sounds harsher than I mean for it too, but I guess you become less sure of what you have in Brock Vandergriff once he goes a couple of years without playing. So I think that Vandergriff has been among the more interesting stories for Georgia thus far this spring. And yesterday, Vandergriff had a chance to kind of tell his own story and talk about, you know, kind of what he brings to the table as a quarterback. In fact, let's let you hear a little bit of what Brock Vandergriff had to say yesterday. Uh, when it comes to decision making, it's just all about being consistent and like just not going like this right here. And at the quarterback position, you got to have somebody like that, 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 that's this right here, whether that's the physical aspect or the mental aspect. Uh, you just got to stay the same and just stay consistent during practice. Uh, when stuff doesn't go your way, you can't make a bad play, a, cat- a catastrophe. That's what Coach Boba always tells us. And uh, I think that's something I've been getting better at is just making sure I stay the same and not not having great plays, a really bad plays. Just just keeping the same, just trying to keep hammering the nail i think that line of thought from vandegrift means something because if we're doing like punt pass and kick competition here if it's just a measure of skill set i'm not really quite so sure any quarterback at georgia matches the overall skill set for vandegrift big tall good looking athlete big arm runs well that if all we're doing is measuring then vandegrift might win on the measurables but as you know listen you know, there's a lot more to the quarterback position than just how athletic you are, or how well you throw it, or how far you throw it. It's also about kind of knowing what to do with the football and not being overwhelmed by the moment. And as uh, uh, Vandergriff quotes Bobo as saying, turning a bad play into a disaster, into a catastrophe. And I think what Vandergriff probably describes there is his own personal mission right now. In other words, in order to be a viable starting quarterback at a place like Georgia, you have to pair decision-making with the athleticism. That you There is a requisite level of athleticism you have to have. Otherwise, you're going to be overwhelmed by the defenses that you're facing. But athleticism alone can't get the job done for you. You also have to know what's going on. You have to know the Georgia offense. You have to know what to expect from the defenses. You have to kind of know how to handle the moment of being a quarterback. There is a cerebral part of this position that's just as important as the athletic part of this position. That's what makes quarterbacks so special the idea of a quarterback so special and what Vandergrift describes there is I'm guessing the the journey that he's on right now showing that his ability to understand what's going on is just as 
built up as his own athleticism, which I think is probably pretty prodigious. And then along that line a little bit more, Vandergriff kind of talked about his journey getting to Georgia. The idea that, hey, he didn't play at a 7A school in Georgia. He came from a, you know, a lower classification, a single-A school. But in his mind, that doesn't put him at a disadvantage of competing with any quarterback. The guys in the Georgia roster or potentially other SEC quarterbacks that he could do battle with as a starter, uh, Vandergriff says that his journey to get to Georgia does not put him at a disadvantage. Here is Brock again. I don't know. Uh, I feel like whenever you think about like stuff like that, I feel like it's kind of relative. Just uh, maybe you're at a smaller school like single A. Uh, maybe your O linemen aren't as good. Like and you're having to do this, this, and this. And just I feel like hey, whenever you get to SEC, the D linemen are a lot better. Your O linemen is a lot better and stuff like that. And uh, guys are faster. Uh, that was the main thing for me. Is just it's tighter windows and uh, throwing the ball tighter windows. You got to be more. Timing is more important. Your dude's not going to be able to sit there open for three seconds before, before you give him the ball because he's going to be covered. But uh, just the game flow and the game speed has been probably the biggest transition, and uh, it helps being able to go against one of the best defenses in the country every day of practice. Everything that Brock Vandegrift says there is 100% true. Quarterbacks have come from everywhere. They've come from the largest classification in Georgia. They've come from the smallest classifications in Georgia. They've come from Georgia. They've come from every other state there as well. That if quarterbacks could only be produced in one area, in one size of school, then those are the only quarterbacks that ever get offers. But we clearly know that quarterbacks of all stripes, all varieties, get attention. And if you're good, a school like Georgia is going to find you. So the fact that Brock went to a smaller school near Athens, uh, he could have also gone to Oklahoma, could have gone to about anywhere he wanted to, that his background does not put him at a disadvantage. I think he's absolutely right about that. And I also think that what he describes there in terms of what the name of the game really is, of, hey, ultimately, can you throw a football into a tight window? Do you trust yourself enough to even release the football in a situation like that? And can you get it where it needs to go? That is the ultimate differentiator on all of this kind of stuff. You know, high school football for these kinds of quarterbacks has a way of sort of looking easy. But when it's no longer easy, can you still thrive? And I think that Vandergriff's absolutely right about that. And then one more from him in terms of his mindset and kind of how he tries to approach all of this and not getting frankly too overwhelmed by the stakes of this particular con- uh, this competition once again i think this is really good from brock vandegrove i would say it hadn't really ever changed i mean everybody's going to say that they have belief and trust in themselves and uh i base a lot of my life on my faith and i believe that god has a plan for me regardless of where i'm at or what i'm doing and uh that's just that's never changed i'm just uh i believe god has a plan for me and I'm going to I'm going to be here and I'm going to do my job every day and was asked me and control the controllables. So let me wrap this up this way. There's a lot about this quarterback competition. I'll admit to not knowing. I, I don't know what's really happening behind closed doors. I hear certain things. You hear certain things. How real is that? We don't really know who's the ultimate winner here. You may say I don't really know that either right now. I guess I probably would say that, too. But let me tell you what I feel like I do know. I like both these guys. I do. I do. And I don't know that I really felt like I knew much about either one of them, at least as much as I do now, kind of prior to the spring. But when you hear Brock yesterday, that's a guy that's pretty easy to root for. When you hear Carson back, you know his story. He's waited for his moment. He feels like this could be it. That's a pretty easy guy to root for, too. Gunnar Stockton one day, kind of feel the same way about him. But for now, focusing on Carson and and uh, and, and Brock, I like both these guys. And I'm starting to believe the uh, potential certainly exists that whoever emerges as the Georgia starting quarterback, 
the dogs could be in good hands here this year. That is around the doghouse here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Manager today. The guy that was in the room yesterday is both Carson and Brock spoke. That's our Mike Griffith. He's also had some interesting reporting as of late about what happened in that Georgia scrimmage on Saturday. So as spring practice rolls on, let's get more of that information from Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management today. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. A little late getting to Mike, and I apologize for that, but uh, Mike, we had a chance to hear some of these uh, quarterbacks before you joined us. Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, interesting from both of them, and you know, I kind of come away here liking both these guys. I'm still not quite sure what's happening in, in the competition between these two, but in terms of, as a fan, finding it pretty easy to root for Carson, finding it pretty easy to root for Brock, yeah, I, I think that's kind of the case here. It was nice to hear from them yesterday. I thought they both had pretty interesting demeanors and approaches to this particular competition. What did you think after hearing them both yesterday? Yeah, same thing. I mean, you know, these are two guys that are grounded. They know who they are. Um, you feel like they know their strengths, they know their weaknesses, and, and I think they present two really good options. Uh, I, I felt better about the quarterback situation after you know, uh, learning about the scrimmage and, and seeing Kirby put both of these guys in front of us. That in and of itself was a statement that Kirby would choose these two guys to go in front of the media at this time. Um, it, you know, it just, it's, a, it's a healthy competition in earnest, and I, I don't think there's a bad answer here. Um, you know, kind of looking at this a little bit more broadly here for a moment, like the one thing I think people are kind of trying to figure out is, is how real is this competition? Because the one thing that we know is, is that Georgia would be saying a lot of the same things it's saying no matter what. There's a certain script that you follow when you're trying to orchestrate a competition. You don't want it to appear that your starter was kind of just named by default. You want him to earn the job that theoretically pushes him to get better. And yet on the other hand, you know, Maybe it is a situation where Brock Vandergriff, a little bit less experienced, but very, very talented. Maybe he really is pushing for playing time. And maybe he really could kind of jump the line here and become a starting quarterback. Maybe Carson Beck might have a hard time holding him off if Vandergriff kind of lives up to some of the uh, the potential that a five-star quarterback would be expected to have. So to put you on the spot here for a moment, how real do you think this competition is? Oh, I think it's very real. I don't think Kirby himself knows. I mean, uh, you know, I think we would have a tendency to, you know, say, you know, Beck gets the first start uh, on the seniority, provided that, you know, he checks all the boxes. But there's a reason why they're splitting reps. I mean, it, quarterback coaches and coordinators, and we learned this, you know, through Todd Munkin, they're, they're not there. I mean, this, this isn't rec ball, okay? It's not going to be 50-50, everybody plays. If they knew who their guy is, they're going to give him, you know, Stetson got the majority of the snaps. They knew he was the guy. He was getting 80% of the work. There was zero competition. Uh, you know, and, and Monk is not playing games. It's like, look, let's get this guy ready. And the fact is they don't know who the guy is. They don't know who they can trust yet. Um, they aren't completely sure exactly what this offense is going to look like. I mean, it's like they're building a machine, right? And before you can know who the right driver is, you kind of got to know what, you're, what, what they're driving. I mean, uh, how much quarterback run do you want? How much do you need to go downfield? What does the passing game look like? How good, how good does the offensive line uh, protect? There's a lot of components to this, um, and, and I think that it's all playing out. It's a process, and you have two really capable guys that, that have you know somewhat um, different skill sets, and which one will fit best. And then, then you evaluate the person, like which person do you trust? Which person will be the most consistent? Which person 
you know, represents, you know, what Mike Bobo and Kirby Smart believe is best, um, the direction of the offense. I mean, I, I kind of look at it like, and I get, and, you know, and this may be unfair because, you know, there's only been one scrimmage and there's a very limited window of public viewing that we've had. Um, but I, I kind of feel like Beck is a higher ceiling passer, um, but I feel like Vandergriff may have a higher floor. You know, maybe not as, mis- I don't want to say mistake prone, but maybe not as likely to challenge it, you know, more likely to throw the ball away. You know, it just, it's two different, and it's just a vibe I'm getting. Again, I don't know. And, and even Kirby Smart said, Brandon, he wants to see what they do in scrimmages and he wants to see what they do in games. And when he said that, the light went on and I said, you know what, we're going to see both these guys playing early in the season. And obviously Georgia's got the kind of schedule where you could do that. We could probably spend all day talking about, you know, games like South Carolina and at Auburn if those games are tough enough that you feel like you need to know who your starting quarterback is. You know, on the road at Auburn almost certainly, South Carolina by virtue of the fact they did beat Tennessee and Clemson closed last season, maybe. But when you think about, you know, Ball State, Tennessee Martin, uh, I guess UAB, uh, first year for Trent Dilfer there. When you think about those games, uh, clearly if Georgia wanted to play both these quarterbacks, and if you did want to make it rec ball and give everybody a turn, you could probably do that and be just fine. So is it your thought right now, obviously with with room to change your mind later on, is your thought right now this competition goes into the season? I think so, right? And, and, you know, unless somebody deals themselves out of it, you know, unless somebody does something stupid off the field, because I, I think there's a very, I don't want to say zero tolerance, but I think there's a very low tolerance for dumb mistakes off the field right now for obvious, well-documented reasons. I feel like that's a pretty tight ship over there. I think Kirby's, you know, really doubled down on what it means to play for the G. We've heard the players talk about that level of commitment. We know there's a uh, a portrait of Devin Willick inside that building for a reason. Those players see it every day. Um, so, I, you know, I, as long as everybody, you know, takes care of themselves. And I, I'll say this, the quarterback position, and it's the one where we, we give the most attention and, and certainly it's, it's integral to team success. I, mean, I think Georgia's got, a, you know, a lot bigger concerns in the quarterback position that I'd be more worried about um, in terms of trying to win a third championship. All right, I'll talk to you about that. Let me give you one more thing on quarterback before we get there, though. And admittedly, this is a little bit of a crackpot opinion, but nonetheless, because I don't want to make too much of G-Day. G-Day is a little bit of a made-for-TV spectacle, all spring games kind of are. That's not – I would say that if you could – if you could be at the scrimmage this particular Saturday, you're going to get a lot more entertaining brand of football. That's real football compared to what sometimes you see uh, a little bit more orchestrated for a spring game. That's not just true for Georgia. That's true for, you know, true everywhere. But to the extent we're going to take G-Day seriously, here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe the format actually sets up well for a guy like Carson Back. Brock Vandegrift is one of those guys that one of his most valuable commodities is his ability to use his legs, escaping a pass rush, keeping a play alive. Maybe you run, maybe you just buy time to make the throw. But on G-Day, when you're kind of judging what's a sack and you're blowing the whistle, and Kirby Smart's even talked about this before, a little bit harder to judge a guy like Vandegrift in a situation like that. So, Mike, I believe that there's a little bit more pressure on Beck because the format suits his style, I think, more. A little bit more pressure, I believe, on Beck to come out and demonstrate himself on G-Day to be clearly the better quarterback between the two. Because if that doesn't happen, then in my mind, fair or not, it just sort of opens the door for me to think, oh, you know, maybe Brock Vandergriff could be the actual starting quarterback this season. Because once it becomes live football tackling to the ground, at that point, Vandergriff becomes even more valuable in that style of play. No, I think you're right, and, and all you got to do is, is look at the last couple of uh, G-Day games. I mean, Carson Beck has is, is looked really good, uh, 2021 and 2022. You know, you contrast the Stetson Bennett, and 
know, he kind of stunk it up last year. You know, he 15 to 35, two interceptions. Uh, but to your point, it, it wasn't his type of game, right? You know, because they blow the whistle early, and Kirby talked about you don't really have a run game. You can't really set up the play action, especially this year. We know that, you know, Kendall Milton won't be in that G-Day game, and uh, Dejon Edwards has been dealing with a hamstring. You, you know that even if he plays, he'd be pretty limited. So you're not really going to have the benefit of a run game. Uh, I don't expect the offense to look real good. You know, frankly, just, you know, based on, you know, what I'm hearing and how well the secondary is playing and the fact that you can't have a run game and the quarterbacks can't break tackles. Um, so I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not anticipating some, you know, shootout or anything that's going to dazzle me and make me come away and go, oh my gosh, right? You know, don't think you're going to see a ton of Brock Bowers or, you know, or maybe even Ladd McConkey, right? You might see some of the younger guys you're still working in, um, the transfers trying to learn the offense. Maybe Lawson Lucky, you know, he may be a guy that shines. Oscar Delp, you know, we might see some guys like that make some nice runs after the catch. Might see, you know, um, you know Branson Robinson, uh, Rod Robinson, maybe the young backs, uh, you know, run through some second teamers or something. But, um, you know, I would agree with you that I, I don't expect this to be a quarterback spectacle. And, and I would think this it absolutely suits Carson Beck more so than Brock Vandegrift or Gunnar Stockton. So in the time we have left, you said that Georgia has bigger concerns right now than quarterback. Uh, lay those out for us, Mike. What what would stand as your top spring concerns from Georgia kind of with a couple of weeks uh, ahead of G-Day here? What sort of stands out as the bigger concerns for you? Well, I mean, you know, you lost, you lost two really special players that, you know, Kirby, you're not going to replace. I mean, Kirby said it's impossible to replace what Kenny brought as a pass catcher and you know, you hear some people, you know, amateur opinions. Oh, well, you know, these guys can catch the ball. Look, you and I can catch an eight-yard swing pass out of the backfield, Brandon. That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about having a back that can run a 30-yard wheel route like Kenny or James Cook, guys that were catching the ball way downfield where you get those matchups and, aha, you know. And these guys don't do that, okay? Uh, James and Kenny, their secondary MOS is, was, was as receivers. These guys are running backs catching the ball. And, and they're going to get better, but they're not going to do that. And that's going to be a component that's going to be missing. And it's one less thing the defense has to worry about. And then Darnell Washington. Look, there's plenty of good tight ends, but, you know, they don't make them 6'7", 275, capable of crushing any defensive lineman and, and just creating matchup nightmares. I mean, you put a 235, 240-pound tight end out there, that's very different than Darnell. So you've lost two, um, you know, players in Kenny and Darnell that, you, that you're just not going to replace. Now, that's not to say there's not going to be talent. Um, you, you stick another receiver out there, less double tight end, more three wide receivers set. Okay, that's fine. But that's more conventional. There's more personnel out there that can match up with that. So, you know, I would say Mike Bobo has less to work with than Todd Munkin did in terms of toys in the toy box or tools in the toolbox or whatever you want to say. Um, he doesn't have those matchup nightmare guys. So George is going to have to be more conventional uh, than they've been, and, and that's going to make them easier to defend. You lost both offensive tackles. Look, I, I love Amarius Mims, five-star, I get it. Uh, Austin Blasky, hard worker, Ernest Green, you know, quite the pedigree. But you're losing a first-round left tackle and a guy that started 37 games in a row at right tackle that did not give up one sack last year in 15 games. Those are big shoes to fill. And, and it's just, you know, we just tick along, and you know, especially after last year, Brandon, they kind of feel, well, they lost 15 guys last year. They went undefeated. Okay, well, that's happened like once in college football history, and Georgia did it. You, you really want to push the odds and say you're going to lose 10, 11 more guys to the NFL, uh, a six-year six starting quarterback, uh, you know, a, a generational tie, tight end talent, 
you know, the most uh, you know diverse, uh, versatile running back in your school history. You're going to lose all that and go 15-0 again? So my point is there's work to be done. I think Georgia's going to win the East. I think Georgia's going to win the SEC. But I think they're going to take their lumps. And, uh, you know, the tackle position, uh, you know, losing that double tight end, losing a guy like Kenny McIntosh, and, you know, the defense is good, but I, I don't see a first-round pick at, at, at defensive tackle. I just don't. Maybe Bear becomes that guy. Um, but, I, you know, last year we knew. This year, who's next man up? I mean, you got some solid guys there, but do you have game-changing interior defensive tackles? I can't – I mean, ask yourself – in the NFL, I'm counting on one hand how many interior defensive tackles you can think of that are game-changing players. They just don't come along, and 88's gone. So – those are my concerns mike interesting stuff we appreciate you being here as a uh, part of the show here today we'll look forward to bringing a lot more from you from athens obviously heading towards another scrimmage we think on saturday and then g-day coming up after that so uh, appreciate your time i uh, can't wait to read it there at dognation.com and we'll look forward to talking to you again look forward to it brandon let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through so what did i tell you i told you this off the top of the show that eventually some doubters would coming, would be coming out of the woodwork somewhere. I didn't realize the call was going to be coming from inside the house, but apparently that's the case. You hear Mike there. He says it. I pick him to win the East, I believe he said. Pick him to win the SEC, but he stopped short of saying, you know, go on to win that national championship, whatever else. And once again, kind of sort of sounding the alarm on, uh, you know, what Georgia has to replace. And I'm not making a lot of that necessarily. Can we bring the music down just a tiny little bit, if you don't mind? Uh, I'm not... Um, uh, I'm not making light of that because I said this on the radio today. I was on with my friends in Athens that I think last year, talking about 2021 transition to 2022, too much was made of what Georgia lost off the 2021 roster. It was an overstated talking point. I think this particular offseason, it may be somewhat understated, uh, but this is what Georgia can use as a source of motivation. You know, I, I think there's reason to believe the Georgia defensive line is actually going to be better this year than it was a year ago. Ed, edge rusher spot, I think there's a chance this Georgia defense looks a lot more like what this team looked like in 2021 than it did in 2022. But uh, already some doubt creeping in there, at least a little bit. We told you there'd be some. Maybe it's already beginning, and maybe that's the source of motivation for Georgia this year. We'll have to wait and see, and we'll have to wait and find out. Tony Barnhart, by the way, coming up in just a few minutes. We'll look forward to talking to him. Prior to that, though, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Dog Nation cruise coming up. Man, I cannot wait for that, and so many of you are going to be on board with us. We can't wait for that, too. And so many of you also making your own plans to have your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. When you do, I'm hearing from you left and right that you're trusting Jessica Slater to help you do that. Great travel agent, specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can sort of decide which of these Royal Caribbean cruise itineraries makes the most sense for you. You know, coming up in June with my family, we're going to be taking a three-night cruise, which I'm excited about kind of over the weekend, just kind of sort of laid back and casual. Uh, Our Dog Nation cruise is a four-night cruise. You leave on Monday, you're back on Friday, you're there for four nights, great experience. And for some of you say, Listen, BA, I want to do what you did back in February. I want to take the seven-night cruise. I want to be on an Oasis-class ship, the seven-night cruise. I want all that Royal Caribbean has to offer. Well, that's a great opportunity for you there as well. You could even be thinking about January 2024 and the debut of Icon of the Seas, too. A Royal Caribbean cruise ship, the newest in the fleet, kind of taking the cruise vacation experience to the next level, largest water park at sea. It's like a resort combined with a water park, combined with just basically everything. I mean, it's an unbelievable 
vacation experience and jessica can tell you all about that there as well so one more time give her a call 770-718-9147 770-718-9147 she'll get you booked up and ready to go for a royal caribbean cruise vacation here in 2023 or looking ahead to early 2024 all right before we get uh tony barnhart let me kind of roll through here a uh, couple of things for sec through i'm gonna probably talk more about this at some point in time but um i saw there was this story at cbssports.com looking at the most exciting freshmen for the upcoming spring games and uh on the list of all the freshmen that were mentioned you got arch manning and you got you know you got all kinds of names like that but couldn't help but notice there wasn't a single georgia player mentioned and part of me is like well how could georgia be back-to-back national champions they had the number two recruiting class they had 21 early enrollees off that class and there's not a single freshman worthy of being mentioned by cbs sports and pretty long article of all these freshmen got mentioned all over the place georgia didn't have a single name get mentioned so it feels like a little bit of a snub there and i would say it's also an example of sometimes the national media not being you know as plugged in with what's going on here at uga i would say that most of us are very excited about seeing a good number of these freshmen here uh i'll go back to what terrence edwards said last thursday about jordan hall that's defensive lineman that's already earning a lot of buzz terrence saw him at practice he had nice things to say about hall that's a freshman worth watching i'd say a lot of us are very excited about seeing what roderick robinson brings to the table at running back getting his chance with the injuries that have taken place in the georgia running back room roderick's a guy that people want to see look at Lawson lucky the tight end spot you say you know maybe nationally tight end doesn't move the needle but how valuable have you seen georgia tight ends be brock bowers one of the very best players in the country darnell washington's a likely first round pick a real catalyst for the georgia offense a year ago you know guys like Lawson lucky are going to be on display during g-day so we're gonna probably do more of this before g-day gets there but couldn't help but notice cbs gave georgia a little bit of a snub there and uh part of that feels pretty incorrect just to be completely frank there uh i'm also noticing this right now have you seen the buzz that's starting to grow around an in-state quarterback from langston hughes prentice air nolan class of 2024 uh he's been taking some pretty high profile visits right now and it seems like there's a lot of momentum seemingly growing between nolan and uh ohio state ohio state's obviously recruited the wide receiver position very well and a lot of those receivers are now kind of turning to uh air nolan saying hey we need you to come be our quarterback which once again is a little bit of a reminder of what we said yesterday that pretty clearly the lines have been drawn here of you know what the expectations are for quarterback georgia has its commit ryan puglisi but it's also seeking dylan riola right now there as well and georgia has been content to let a guy just a few miles down the road and nolan be on the open market took a visit to clemson you know being pursued now by ohio state and georgia seems to be kind of okay with that fully focused in its belief that dylan riola is the best available prospect here in this class of 2024 but it could be sooner rather than later maybe that we see an in-state guy like nolan end up at a place like ohio state or some other program of a similar stature and yet georgia has been content to let that happen while it keeps its full focus on dylan riola that is kind of interesting also to follow up on a story we had the other day so the troy coach whose name is john sumrall has said that he would be in favor of the idea that hugh freeze mentioned earlier about hey maybe we should be playing a different opponent than ourselves for our spring games coming up and troy coach says yeah we'll do that and even kind of had some suggestions in his own right about kind of how that might play out um i like the idea of this maybe gaining some momentum i still feel though the actual implementation would be far harder than it's currently being given credit for because ultimately these group of five and fcs teams they're not coming to these stadiums for free and in the season you can pay troy a million and a half dollars to show up 
uh, because you've got a TV contract and you've got you know a full stadium. But spring game attendance in most situations doesn't really exceed about 40,000 or so. That's a normal spring game type crowd. Uh, maybe you'd get more if it was a real game, but I'm not quite so sure. People are pretty busy during the spring. And I'm not really quite so sure what the appetite for TV is. I mean, after all, you've got Colorado spring game on ESPN. You've got Georgia spring game on ESPN, too. And everything else has been kind of relegated to the streaming stuff. You know, it's interesting to know that if ESPN wanted to promote these games and uh, get a lot of attention around these games, these spring games, they could clearly do it. But for whatever reason, they just sort of choose not to. You know, and I, I think it's worth asking why that is. But that's kind of the way that a lot of this sort of stuff sort of plays out from time to time. In fact, we also see examples of like this year, Kentucky's not going to have a spring game. You know, anytime that lately when a stadium has been undergoing a lot of construction, like I guess happening up there in Kentucky, they just sort of skip out on having the spring game. So if anything, it seems like the recent momentum has been more towards downplaying and uh, downgrading the value of a spring game. But if we could ever swing the other direction and have something that more closely approximated real football, uh, you better believe I'd be in favor of that. So good for Hugh Freeze waving the flag on this. And then real quickly, one more thing here before we bring on Tony Barnhart. Austin Simmons, the quarterback we told you about yesterday, who they call Muck Vic, uh, he did commit to Florida. So uh, Gators fans have something to be uh, happy about, I guess, right now. And I told you yesterday, a lot of Florida fans have this sort of pie-in-the-sky thing. Oh, maybe he'll reclassify. Maybe he'll come in in class 2023. He is a 2025 quarterback. I don't know what's going to happen there on that, but I guess the one thing that Billy Napier can sort of point to his fans and say, hey, at least I'm doing this for you. I'm not winning games in the field. I haven't really mastered the transfer portal yet. The overall depth of the roster isn't quite uh, what you want it to be either, but I have gotten you some quarterbacks. They do have a commitment from DJ Lagway for the class of 2024. That's a pretty big prospect. And now Austin Simmons, who they really like, kind of a top 100 level player out of the state of Florida for the class of 2025. So at least a little bit of success for Billy Napier when it comes to recruiting the quarterback position. And for now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Manager this time of year, we always love catching up with Tony Barnhart. We call him Mr. College Football because really no one has had more insight into what's going on with the SEC for a great number of years than our good friend Tony has. And he's back here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Manager today. Tony, thanks for spending time with us. We hope you're doing well and glad to have you back on the program well thank you brandon it's always good to be with you i'm curious to know how you feel about this because you and i have been having these kinds of interviews now for a number of years and i would say the tone of most of those interviews was hey how does georgia break through how does georgia finally get over them how does georgia finally win a national championship and now we're talking about georgia trying to win a third straight national championship it's clearly conquered the college football world you've covered so many seasons what is it like for you? Does it feel as surreal for you as it kind of does for me to think that the narrative around Georgia has changed as much as it has over the last 24 months? It has been an amazing thing to watch, Brandon. Uh, and But as you look at it, it's pretty clear that Georgia has done it. Uh, Kirby Smart is just a recruiting juggernaut in his staff. And the goal always was to put together multiple three, four, five recruiting classes so that when you do lose talent, you've got talented players to, to replace them with. And that's what you saw in Georgia last year. Logically, there was no logical reason that Georgia could win a second national championship other than the fact that they were talented enough to do it. And I, I think it's been an incredible thing to watch. And it, it makes life harder on the rest of the folks in the SEC. I was speaking to Buddy. Buddy Martin, the Florida Gator, last night, and they, and they are scratching their heads. You know, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And I told him, I said, you better upgrade that roster 
if you want to compete with the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world. No, I think that's very well said. And when you think about the Georgia roster, you know, one of the things I've said, Tony, is is I think last year it was almost maybe overstated what Georgia had to replace off its 2021 team that, typically speaking, playoff national champions had made the playoff again mm-hmm. the following year so that maybe, to a certain extent, it was kind of overstated the challenge that Georgia would have about replacing those 15 draft picks. But if that was true a year ago, I've almost kind of come to the conclusion that maybe it's actually being understated this year, the fact that Georgia is without a quarterback who led them to two straight titles. Mm -hmm. It's without key leaders like Nolan Smith, Chris Smith on defense, that Broderick Jones on the offensive line probably had a way better season last year than a lot of folks realize, and that actually maybe – even though people now assume that Georgia is just going to do whatever it takes to replace whatever it lost, that some of what Georgia lost off this past season's team is actually a little tougher to replace than maybe it's given credit for. I think, I think that's very well stated. I think uh, there, you come a point where you just don't plug and play. Now Georgia, Georgia was able to play a lot of guys last year who didn't get as much playing time and they were very, very talented. But the question becomes, this, there's certain nuances to putting together a football roster. And the question is, is will, it, will it catch up with Georgia? The, the X factor, though, Brandon, is when, we, when you and I are discussing all this, is when you look at the schedule, the schedule looks very manageable. Now, it's the SEC and we understand, but when you, you raise those issues combined with the Georgia schedule, is it possible? It absolutely is possible. Is it probable? Ask me after the the transfer portal opens up again, yeah. and I'll let you know. Yeah, I think that's the part that's kind of interesting here because last year we had a spring portal season, and I think a lot of coaches, if I read between the lines here on this, I think they were actually a little disappointed that the spring portal last year wasn't a little deeper than it turned out to be. I don't know how many game-changing mm-hmm. players entered the portal post-spring for whatever reason. This year, you know, we have a specific window that opens at the beginning of May, and I do think that's going to be really interesting to see, Tony, in terms of, hey, you know, who leaves a roster that could help, or in the case of some of these teams, like you mentioned Florida earlier, you need some, you know, some, some better players. Does the spring portal become a little bit better shopping experience than maybe it was this time a year ago? Well, no question, because it doesn't stay open. Uh, there's, there's a fixed amount of time that it is open, and if the coach wants to upgrade a position on his roster, he has a limited amount of time. Conversely, if a player wants to find different circumstances for himself, he's got to make a decision. He can't put it off indefinitely. So I think, I think this portal season is going to be uh, much different. Let me ask you about the rest of the SEC here for a moment because – when I look around at what's happening right now, I see Alabama kind of getting the same level of conversation that we're used to them getting. Obviously, they're motivated to be better than they were in 2022. But I see a team like LSU that's got a second-year coach in Brian Kelly that actually won the West a year ago that I think actually has two pretty intriguing quarterbacks. Maybe they have to choose between one of the two, or maybe they find a way to play them both. I see a team like Alabama almost getting more discussion than I feel like is warranted in comparison to a team like LSU that actually beat the Crimson Tide last season. How do you handicap that race, what I guess will be the final year in the SEC West? How do you handicap that race right now? I think it's really close. It is really close. Now, the, the, the X factor when it comes to Alabama is after what, you know, they, after what it, you know they, they've had these two awful seasons of, of going to the national championship and then winning 11 games. I don't know how they, they're going to overcome that. Uh, 
And the thing about it is we've got to get some answers at quarterback. What's, what's the offense going to look like? Will they be able to run the ball? All these kind of different things. But I've just, Brandon, I've got a gut feeling that Alabama's going to be there at the end of the season. But also like LSU and what they did in their first year, Brian Kelly did just an incredible coach after the opener opening loss to Florida State when they did not look like a well-coached team at all, they got better. And as you mentioned, they did beat Alabama. And uh, so I, I, I think it's, it's definitely Alabama uh, and LSU in the West. Who's going to have the edge? I like Jaden Daniels, LSU quarterback. I like that guy a lot. I, he could do some amazing things. It's going to be – I haven't made my pick yet. I, mm. And I'm not sure I'll make it until after the transfer portal. Sure. But that's going to be a, an incredible race in the SEC West. And obviously the game on Georgia's regular season schedule that's probably going to get the most attention is going to be going to Knoxville in November. Sure. There's there's no doubt that Josh Heupel's made a name for himself as an offensive coach, and I'm guessing whether it be Nico the freshman or Joe Milton who's been there, they're going to probably get really good quarterback play again. That's just what Heupel seems capable of producing. But I'm pretty skeptical about the ability for Tennessee to take that next step as a program. In other words, mm-hmm. they're clearly good enough to make a game against Georgia or Alabama feel big, but other than beating Alabama a year ago, I'm not quite so sure I see enough roster balance to take the next step as a program. What do you make of what's happening right now in Knoxville and kind of what is kind of an important offseason for Josh Heupel going into year three? Well, you mentioned it. They're going to be good offensively, regardless of which of those quarterbacks plays. You know, does he go Does he go with the freshman? Does he, does he go with the transfer the from Michigan, I thought Milton played well. Milton's got a cannon for an arm. Yeah. Okay, so so the, with Josh Heupel uh, running the offense, uh, they're going to be good offensively. Defensively, they're just not where they need to be. Uh, and uh, you've got to be—you're just not going to outscore people in this conference consistently. The defense is what travels the best, and so I'm anxious to see if they make a, a step forward on the defensive side. Um, I, I, I just don't. I can't see a scenario where where they're going to beat Georgia unless unless the quarterback play is as good as they need it to be. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. Before we let you go, Tony, this time of year you always have a great event that raises money for a terrific cause. I know this year it's got a special tie for Georgia fans there as well. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the uh, big golf event you have coming up here really soon? Sure. For the last seven years, Honduras Outreach that does tremendous work. Uh, in Honduras for giving food, medical care, education uh, to some of the poorest places on earth. And so our, uh, our name, Maria and I, are the, uh, we're sort of the chair people of the tournament. Uh, it's a Tony Barnhart uh, HOI Invitational. This year will be special because we are dedicating this year's tournament uh, to Coach Vince Dooley. Uh, Coach Dooley and Barbara in the last five years have been going to Honduras with great regularity to, to work with the folks uh, at HOI. And matter of fact, when uh, I was told that Coach Dooley was really planning to go back this March, wow. obviously, when we lost him in October, uh, that didn't happen. So it, it's going to be special. We've got a, a lot of Georgia letter. We have special ceremonies before we start the golf to honor Coach Dooley. Uh, Barbara Dooley will be there. Uh, we got a number. Frank Ross, uh, the captain of the nice. 1980 national championship team, good friend, is going to speak for the Georgia Letterman, and uh, it's going to be a very special day. If people would like to play in it, we, we've got a few teams left, but uh, you can go to ho hoi.org, hoi.org, 
and you can you can sign up online and uh, we got a lot of celebrity guests uh, you know Wes Durham is going to be there nice. Mark Schlebaugh is going nice. to be there Danny Warfel is going to be there Danny has supported us uh, just about every year when he could so it's going to be a great turnout but it's at St. Ives Country Club uh, on Monday April 17th so we're about a little bit less than two weeks away and if you'd like to be a part of it it's going to be a, a special special day early chance to talk about college football and uh, uh, Aaron Murray is going to be there support us David Green is going nice. to be there and so we're we're really looking forward to it. But go to org, and you can sign up and play with us on uh, April 17th. And, Tony, when we post the show later on at dognation.com, I'll put a link in the post so folks can, can find out more information about this there as well. It's a great event for a great cause and obviously a, a great tie to uh, UGA's great legacy here in honor of uh, Coach Dooley here right now there as well. So, Tony, thank you so much for being a part of our show today. Love talking college ball with you. Love seeing you out there doing great work in the community there too, and we'll hopefully get a chance to do that with you again very soon there as well. All right. Thank you, Brandon. It's always good to be with you. Good stuff there from Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, a guy so plugged in for such a long time and everything in the SEC. And that is a great golf tournament. It's kind of funny. This is kind of beside the point a little bit, but he talks about, you know, right before Coach Dooley's passing, still planning on going to Honduras and still planning on being a part of that. It's one of the amazing things for me about Coach Dooley was just how active he was able to be like so late in life i mean you know 90 years old that's an amazing lifespan and really getting a lot of life out of even those like late 80s years i mean this was a guy that because i I'd, I'd done an event with coach dooley i guess it was like about a year or so prior to his passing i'm trying to remember exactly what that was but uh but like the next day after this event he was going to Europe and he was you know, going over there and he like tour those battle sites and things like that. And th- you know, this was a guy that was late 80s, you know, only about a year or so you know, prior to his passing. And he was still just out there doing it and out there, you know, living life. And th- that to me is such an inspiration about just how much life he got out of his years. I mean, not only did he live a long life, but he got a lot of life out of even those very late years. And I could certainly say we could hopefully all you know be blessed enough to be able to say that for ourselves so great event there for tony barnhart making uh uh you know a lot of great memories a lot of great georgia guys and also raising money for a great cause out there at a uh, beautiful golf course too and by the way speaking of golf courses also when you think about this time of year being on the course and enjoying all those kinds of things you also think about our friends at the finish long drink there as well this is the time of year in which you're enjoying that whether it be at a golf course or in a patio somewhere or a back deck or something along those lines you can enjoy that finish long drink and if you go to the longdrink.com you can find out all of the different varieties of finished long drink to try whether it be the cranberry the 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 long drink strong that's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero no carbs no sugar you want the blue can the traditional kind of come with a little bit of a grapefruit flavor kind of a gin kick as i said before a lot of golf courses it's a great way to enjoy around uh, a lot of you know get togethers with the neighbors uh, heading towards uh, maybe watching the masters and stuff like that this weekend finish long drink goes great with all of that there as well in fact when you're enjoying the finish long drink we could even make you a big part of our big finish presented by the finish long drink on fridays we'll show you off enjoying some finished long drink hit me up on twitter at dog nation daily with your photo we'll make you a part of our big finish coming up a little bit later on this week but if you haven't tried the the finished long drink great time to do that go to the longdrink.com and find out how you can enjoy this ready to drink cocktail looks like a beer because it comes in a can but it's not it's a ready to drink cocktail you like mixed drinks you're gonna love the finished long drink so go to the longdrink.com to find out more about that today 
All right. Uh, great stuff from Tony Barnhart. Love having him on the show. And uh, we'll kind of transition here to our close now. And we'll give you a golden shoe. A little bit of a background on this. This week, we've had the great Kaylee Manzel, who's been with us now for a little while. But she's been kind of sitting in the big chair this week. Our normal producer, Michael Carvel, has been on vacation. Kaylee has been running the show. Have not skipped a beat. She has been seamless in her uh, leadership of everything on the other side of the glass here, which I'm very, very thankful for. She also put this out on Twitter yesterday. So I'm going to embarrass Kaylee and uh, make this our uh, golden shoe today. So she said it was her mom's first time watching the show yesterday. Definitely will not be her last, though. And she said some nice things about me, which I appreciate that. Um, so love having Kaylee a part of the show. Happy to have Kaylee's mom tuning in to watch the show there as well. So I'll embarrass the uh, Mansell family on that and say thanks all the way around we'll give golden shoes there by the way lousy stinking gators as tony barnhart said they got real roster problems right now and it doesn't get any easier 206 days from now that's the gator hitter countdown we'll see all of you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by breda pest management we'll look forward to talking to you then